Welcome to the Deepwater Podcast. I'm Dave Mercer. I'm James Judd. And our goal on this podcast is to learn to make disciples the way Jesus made disciples. Yes, sir. Today, we wanted to do a podcast and begin a podcast on disciple making. If you look at the most famous commands in the Bible, one of the top ones that would pop out would be what? Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Right, it says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Mm. So it's this really big, huge command. Everybody knows it. Everybody says they followed it. I would have said I followed it for years. But what I find is that there's a lot of people that actually are not disciple-making. And for years, I did not disciple-make. And so as something that the Lord has allowed me to grow in in the last few years, and I feel like there is a move among a lot of churches recognizing like, wait a minute, we're not doing this well. If we're making disciples so well, where are all our disciples? Why do we only have 20% of the church or 10% of the church doing everything? Why are we not making disciples? So with that idea, we're not going to say we're the greatest disciple makers ever. That's for sure. But uh, it's something we're growing in, something we're excited about. And so that's what we wanted to talk about on this podcast. Uh, let's start, Dave. Tell us tell us your story. Uh, just to begin with, what do you do? Where did you grow up? Give us a little bit of your history. Sure. So I'm a native of Oklahoma. I've really, for the most part, never lived anywhere else except for Oklahoma. I was raised in Winniewood, Oklahoma, which is 60 miles south of Oklahoma City. I was there till I was 18, growing up on my parents' ranch. Went to college at OSU, where I Got a engineering degree, which I utilize here in the city now. I'm a civil engineer by license. Uh, by actual practice, I enforce uh, the regulations that are related to drinking water. So that's that's what I do. So every time I drink a good glass of water, I can thank you. And every time I drink a bad glass of water. <laughs> Absolutely. <gasps> Very good. And you grew up in the church, right? Absolutely. So... One thing I like to tell people in my testimony is that I was in church every Sunday, even before I was born. Mom was already the piano player at our church at that time uh, when she had me. So I think from conception, I barely missed 10 Sundays from when I was born until high school graduation. And I think I think I took a lot of pride in that. And I guess the aspect I'd like to focus on on that is I was endowed with a lot of knowledge. So if you think about all the times I sat in church, all the scripture I learned, my way of navigating the Bible, what the gospel was, you know, I'd, a lot of the church had instilled a lot in me. When I went to college, my connection to Christ's body was quite different. I never really connected with an actual church there in terms of a place to, to really belong in a community. I got involved with a parachurch organization called the Navigators, Mm -hmm. uh, which will probably come up often in this podcast in some form or another. Right. And before I take another word, I I really want to thank them for the the investment they made in my life. And 
really to go a step further, it wasn't necessarily the organization, but it was people within the organization who were making choices to give me their time to, as Paul said, you know, it pleased us not only to give you the gospel, but to impart to you our own life. And that's that's particularly what two or three people did for me there at OSU. And in addition to receiving input, those were the years of my life when that Matthew 18, Matthew 28, sorry, 19 and 20 really became, it was part of our culture as a ministry that you not only received input, but that you actively looked for people to give you input. Um, so you were, you were assigned to find a men, not a find a mentor, but like you were supposed to be going out and growing, finding people to grow from as well. Absolutely. So from the first week I was there, the Lord really just guided me to one man in particularly who became my mentor, like a big brother all through college. And probably within a year's time, I was looking for guys who would get together whom I could lead through uh, lessons on assurance, assurance of salvation, answered prayer, victory over sin. Eventually, some of the guys I met with went on to help other guys. And of course, that wasn't because of anything I did. It was because the the Lord's hand was on their life, and it was his sovereignty that I was just a a short cog in the process that helped them get help. Uh, Now, and just to to continue, though, past college— kind of got out of that. Like most people in the church, I've been through seasons. That was one season that eventually my time with the Navigators ended. And I met a guy named James Judd in college, which happens to be you. Happens to be me. And one day at IHOP, he said, hey, I'm on my way to East Asia. And this guy, let me tell you, I'll forget once again, I'm talking to you. You were a real salesman and you, it was definitely God's sovereignty uh, I say with, with Jess, you were a salesman because you had me convinced that, hey, you know, I should come see you in Inner Mongolia and see what you were doing over there. But yeah, because I had it all figured out. You did. You did. And at the time, I also took perspectives on the World Christian Movement my senior year. I should say I audited the class. I didn't finish the coursework. Yeah, I've actually never taken it, but I've heard it's really good. I would love to take it. We'll see if an opportunity avails itself sometime. Yes. Yeah. And I I think that's another reference we'll see come up maybe again in this series of our listeners. You can can tag that. But after taking perspectives and rooming with a guy who had a heart for for missions, I guess you could say that I got bit by the missions bug. I still remember the first time I left. The first time my roommate convinced me to quit playing a first-person shooter video game and instead to go to a Eid celebration, a Muslim holiday by the Islamic Student Association. And at first I was like, what am I doing here? And by the end of the night, I'd made two friends from Algeria and just kind of caught the, the missions bug there in college. So, But to keep the story moving, after college, went and spent four months with you mm-hmm. overseas. Over in paradise. Yeah. And then came back, and after a short stint at home, began what is now uh, about a decade of living here in Oklahoma City. And part of the reason I came here to the city was because there's not many internationals in Winniewood. And not to say that was the right decision or the wrong one. I just wanted to be where there were people who spoke other languages and were just other cultures. I wanted more diversity, wanted a chance to see people from China, from Korea. So that's what drew me up here. And uh, now have a family and two kids, so 
Anyway, and I think, let me, if I could just maybe wrap down my story with this one point, where I'm at right now is I would still say I have an interest in discipleship, cross-cultural ministry, but I'm finding that the season of life, being a parent of young children, a professional, and just someone in the American culture, uh, the paradigm that we did the ministry with of making disciples in college, I'm not sure that it completely fits now. And I need to examine my own devotions as well. But I, I suppose I, you could say that's one thing in my journey I'm looking for now is to find what does it look like to make disciples now? Uh, are there pieces of that old paradigm that need to come back? Or is it time to embrace a different one? Um, so that's that's kind of where I'm at today. And why? Tell me, why do you feel like the old paradigm is no longer? So in college, uh, it was all about coffee shops. In fact, we, it was, the words were interchangeable of, are you discipling with anyone? And are you meeting with anyone? Those were synonymous terms. So essentially discipleship, we, obviously we would never say that the more meetings you spend at a coffee shop with a, another man, the more he begins to take on the incarnation of Christ in the world. Like, that's ridiculous. We knew it was life on life, but still the paradigm was that you you met, usually weekly, to check verses, to be accountable. And what I'm finding now is that none of us in college really knew how much free time we had. Right. And now we're learning it, that we don't have it anymore. <laughs> Two, as we have wives and young kids, our, the demand for us to be in the home is more. So I'm rethinking whether or not coffee shop discipleship is really the best paradigm because I'm not doing much of it now. So without watering down what it looks like, it's more, what does it look like to incorporate discipleship into every area of my life, to invite people in my home, uh, to disciple my family, to use every aspect of life as a window to help be Jesus where I'm at. Right. And that's not to say the navigators aren't a great group of people. I oh, have absolutely. some navigators in my, I've never been a navigator, but I've had some in my influence. And sometimes when I have big questions, some of the guys that I go to are good old fashioned navigators. Uh, so we're not at all downplaying them. They're a great organization. At the same time, we're trying to say, what's it look like? For me, a lot of the question is, what's it look like for the church to make disciples? And I love the navigators, but in the end, even they say they're a parachurch organization. What's it look like for the church? How do we get the church making disciples? So listening to your story, going back to that, it sounds real rosy, but it's not really that rosy, right? No, and when you say rosy... Ah, you know, it's like, oh, I went to college, this guy started meeting with me, I started meeting other people, they were meeting other people. I mean, that sounds pretty pretty smooth, pretty easy. Certainly. And But how do we, I, we don't want to paint a picture to say like, oh, it's just this easy, easy path. I met them six times and then they started meeting them and there was no issues. No, in fact, uh, when I look back now on what discipleship looked like. There were things I did looking back in the past now that I think that's really something I should still be doing. And there's other aspects that I just laugh and say, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe that I actually thought that was a good thing. And once again, that has nothing to do with, with the navigators. It has everything to do with, you know, who I was at the time. And I'm kind of just owning that whole experience myself. And Where I'm at now is not to look back and say, was what I did in college right or wrong? But I don't know, maybe this is out of context, but Isaiah 
43, 18 and 19, you know, behold, I shall do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. What is it? Was it? What does it need to look like in this season of life? Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of us that went to college. And now that we're young parents, we're in the church, we're in the workplace. The demands on our time are great. I think a lot of us are asking the question, what does it look like to to make disciples now in this season of life? Right, because it's a lot different than, you know, like we were busy in college, but we were busy with being busy or, you know, like you just had oodles and oodles of time. I was a business major. You were an engineering major, so you have a few excuses for being busy. But like classes, you know, 15 hours a week, boy, that's a heavy load. Well, now you're putting in 40 or 50 in your work, maybe more, maybe less, depending on who a person is. All of a sudden, you have all these little kids running around, and they take all your energy from like sun up until they go to bed at night. And then you still, you're married, you got to take care of your wife, you got to take care of your family. How do I put somebody else in that time frame? And it's hard. It is. But. You're still doing it. And some of the things that I like about you most is you are still plugging away. You do still plug away at languages and at meeting international people. And you're actually one of the very few people I know that continues to work on a foreign language without being in a college class to require it or without being overseas or immersed in a community that requires it. You know, like I speak a couple, I speak another language moderate and another one really poorly. But if I had not been among those people, I would never have learned it. I feel like you keep plugging away, and uh, I think it's a great thing. You know, for me, my story, in some ways, is similar. I grew up on a ranch just like you did, um, only my ranch was drier. <laughs> um, I was in church, not every time the doors were open because we lived a long, farther distance mm-hmm. from church, but in church all the time. In many ways, I was like the poster boy of a good church kid, Uh, saved at a young age, spent a number of years doubting my salvation, finally got that worked out. Mm. When I was in high school, one of my nicknames was Reverend. You know, like everybody thought that I'm the poster child for being a good good Christian. Uh, Went to college for a year. That was a good experience. Got randomly plugged into an international ministry with the BCM there, Mm. really randomly. Liked that. Prophetic. Also, the yeah, the uh, BCM director there was really, I think they called it BSU, but he was really evangelistic. And so if you were on any sort of leadership, one day a week you would go out and knock on doors. And so we would do that. And I led some people to the Lord. But I do remember one time I'd led two or three people to the Lord like a couple of weeks in a row. And one of the other older upperclassmen was like, yeah, now you, or maybe it was, maybe it was the director, I forget. He's like, now you need to, you know, now you need to start meeting with them and teach them to grow. And I just remember, like, I was probably like, okay. But I remember thinking, like, I don't even know how to do that. I don't have time for that. Like, you know, like, I think I told him, like, you should start coming to church now. And that was it. I, you know, ran into some, one guy I'm thinking of in particular. I ran into camp, into him on hmm. campus a few times, say, hi, how are you? That was it. You know, and that was it for a lot of the people, like every person I think of that I led to the Lord. Mm-hmm. In that time frame of life, definitely. If they are growing today, it's because God had a backup plan besides mm-hmm. me, which he always does. Absolutely. But God had someone else that was ready to come and bring them in to disciple making. So from there, I went to the Army. Army was this great experience in that I feel like you just talked about God all the time. And I was open about open about being a believer. And in the Army, I felt like everybody was like, I hate that. 
effing God or, you know, like whatever it was they felt, they like, rah, 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 I can't believe you're a, this kind of guy, Judd. And, and like you could just talk about it. I didn't even hardly bring up God. I was just left, led an open Christian life and you were around these guys all the time. And so they could see some things of like, are you consistent? Do you actually do what you say mm. or you just say it? And there's things I did good, things I did bad. Uh, boy, looking back, there's a lot of things I could have done better. Yeah. Had my first introduction to a navigator. One of my chaplains was a navigator. And he was a really good guy. And he tried to teach us about discipleship. We had a weekly Bible study for my unit. He tried to teach us about discipleship. But I really missed it. I didn't. I missed the power of it. I missed what it really meant to make disciples. And I, I don't know, I'm not saying he didn't say it. I just, in my state of mind, I didn't get it. And what he was doing is he was taking everybody back through the basics. Oh, yeah. And I'd, I'd already been through the basics. I was already reading my Bible every day. I don't know if I was specifically memorizing Scripture at that time, but I had memorized Scripture. I was sharing my faith. You know, it was like, uh, yeah, you know, tell me something I don't know. Mm-hmm. And not that it was bad and I wasn't learning something, but I didn't get this grasp of like, wait a minute, this is disciple making. And I go back to college. Uh, college was an interesting experience of being super busy with Christian things and not really having a lot of time for non-believers. That sounds familiar. And when I think back to the classes I was in, I was very, and some of this I blame on coming out of the service, but I was very like, if you're wrong, if you're, if you're, way of thinking is wrong, I'm coming at you. You know, you're going to have to answer the questions. You're going to have to prove what you say is right. <laughs> I think I offended a lot of people with that. You think it's just because the culture was more open and con- yeah. not so touchy-feely? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. In the military, if you believe something, in my unit, you could just say it. And they respected that. And you had to be able to back up what you said. And then when I went into a, a different environment where not everyone was following those rules. Yeah. Like I offended a lot of people. Uh was probably not leading a great life. Very busy for God, trying realizing that like some things aren't aren't working well. You know, like nobody that I've led to faith is walking with the Lord unless I run into him years later and like, oh wow, you're actually doing something because I, you know, I dropped you. I didn't do anything with you. Hearing some about discipleship, I actually thought a time or two about asking a guy or two, and actually there was one guy at Oklahoma State through my church I asked to disciple me, and he we met together some, but it, it, he's a nice guy, but it didn't exactly click, didn't pick it up, wasn't getting it. Was it more relational or the content or both? Or? I don't know, and I don't know if I was teachable, oh. which we'll talk about that some other time. But yeah, I, I just, whatever it was, I wasn't getting it. Yeah. And there's a lot of it looking back. I. I'm not saying anybody wasn't telling me exactly the truth, and it, but I just, I missed it. And then at the end of that time, I made my first trip overseas to, with the BCM at OSU. And then when I was graduating, I got a chance to go back, which is you actually, I was in charge with our BCM. We had freshman families. So yeah. I had these group of freshmen and two of them lived on your floor. Absolutely. Memory serves. And one of them like really wanted to be discipled. And I I didn't know how, and and I'm kind of doing what I thought. Um, and then another one of them wasn't specifically looking for that, but he needed some accountability with something. And so he and I spent a lot of time together mm. working on, on something. And it wasn't at all intentional, but it was much more actually like disciple-making with him just because we spent a lot of time together. 
lots of lots of opportunities missed, lots of being so busy. So out of that, I met you. I said, hey, why don't you come over to East Asia yeah. with me? So here I am. I've been appointed by the largest mission sending agency in the world. And I'm sure they asked me, what do you think about disciple making? And I told them whatever it was yeah. I said back then. Oh, it's and I'm sure, <laughs> and I'm sure no one caught that like, wow, you don't really know how to make disciples, do you? Yeah. Maybe because they didn't know how to make disciples either or what that meant. Hmm. Or I knew the church answer for that. I mean, there was a definite void. Mm-hmm. And I learned some things when I went, went overseas. All my, I, you know, I grew up in a small town, very traditional church, in many ways a good church. But in many ways, you know, very conservative, very, uh, very stuck in this way of doing things. Wonderful, wonderful, loving church. But in terms of like house churches or church planting or any of that stuff, that was a pretty foreign concept to anybody that I knew um, from my church. Or I just wasn't listening. I will not put any yeah, blame on anybody <laughs> except this one. They may have told me all the time and I just missed it. But I went overseas and, and I'm hearing things and I'm seeing things and I'm receiving training. At the time, the training was really on church planting, you know, church planting movements. And they had elements of disciple making in there. And I think when we look back now, we'd say those church planting movements, what was really happening was disciple making was happening and it yeah. created churches. We had the wrong term for a while. But I'm learning things and I'm realizing, like, man, there's still something really missing in my ministry and what I'm doing. So when I come back to the States, I think, well, I'll do the same thing. Now, now I'm fluent again. I'll do, I'll do the same thing. You know, I'll have a, we'll have a house church here. We'll be multiplicative. Kick some tail. Yeah. We'll kick some, we'll kick some tail for Jesus in America where we can speak English and, uh, have a wonderful church here. Worked on ministry with other, a lot of the people in our little house church had been overseas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, Still to this day, we're one house church. Sometimes we've been up to two, but there's been no multiplicative. Then we felt God calling us back to Asia again. And oh, and can you tell us where did you did you pick up a wife during this time? Ah, uh, yes, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Picked up a wife, an American. I like to say that uh, in our city, she just didn't have a lot of options, and so I turned mm-hmm. on the charm and. By the time she realized I didn't have any charm, we were already married. Yeah. <laughs> Might be the story of a lot of men's lives, but <laughs> there you go. that was definitely mine. And so I came back to the States, pursuing business, wanting to be doing things with the church. Not a real fruitful time in my life. Felt the rebuke from God that I was pursuing my own kingdom instead of his. Go back to East Asia. This time sent by our church instead of instead of by this this mission organization. And can you tell the listeners for context, when you say church, is this a mega church we're talking about? This is a church of, say, 12 to 20 people, depending on who's there that okay. day. Okay, all right. All right. So they, they, uh, they were our authority, and they did some uh, financial support for us, and when people wanted to support us, they could send it, send it to the church. And they were wonderful. And when we went back overseas, we went up, wound up going back to the exact same place we'd been to. But now no one was telling us day to day, do this, do this, don't do this. And I just felt like every time I turned around, God was bringing this idea of discipleship, disciple making. And somewhere I started like listening and like, oh, wait a minute. And some stuff had happened. I reached where it really came to a head. I'd had two or three people that were telling me more. I'm thinking more about it, realizing like, okay, this is what I'm missing. This God is is bringing this into my life. 
I've been missing this. And I reached out to one of my pastors who'd been my pastor when I was a uh, high school, high school student and ask him a question unrelated to that. And he was like, listen, I've, I've missed, I've been missing this. When I was your pastor, I didn't realize what discipleship was. I didn't teach you. I'd love to spend some time with you now. And so we did that. We went through a, a book that was really great for me called real life, uh, real life discipleship training manual, and Jim Putman and Avery Willis and a few mm. other guys. And it was phenomenal. And what really clicked one, uh, my, my mentor, my old pastor's name is Dan. So one, I had that relationship with him. He knew me. He's a really good, godly man. I have the knowledge of his character. I grew up with his kids. I mean, I spent a lot of time with him. So I had that aspect of it. But then this book was more designed. It wasn't starting at the beginning. It was like, here's the big picture of disciple making. This is what it looks like. This is like a roadmap for where you're trying to go. This is mm-hmm. why we do it. This is what the Bible says about it. And one of the real key questions I remember at the beginning of the book, it asked, it said in Matthew chapter, is it sixteen eighteen or is it eighteen sixteen? Jesus hmm. says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And he, the author is saying, okay, so Jesus is saying we're going to win. Okay. Does it feel like your church is winning? You know, and oh. I, yeah, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and that's the answer for most churches in America. Is your church winning? No. I mean, we're like, we're getting beat up on every side. Culture is beating us up. We're losing people. We're losing our own children. People yeah. that grow up in the church are leaving the church. This isn't winning. And he makes a very convincing case, and Dan made a very convincing case as well, that the reason it's not is that we're not making disciples. And so that began my real journey and learning to focus. And I'm still growing in it. And now I recognize it a lot more when it is happening. I'm a lot more intentional about it. And I have not arrived. But you don't have to arrive to be a disciple maker. No. Right? You have to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus is to make disciples. Yes. And to make disciples is to make a disciple maker. Right? If you're not, Jesus made disciples. If you're following the master and you're not making disciples... Are you following the master? Yeah, it's like how how successful would a tree be that only made seeds that had no life in them? Right. You're about one generation from death. Yes. And how many churches do you look at? How many churches do you look at? And you say, listen, you're you're one to two generations away from dying, especially if you go into smaller towns or smaller churches, sometimes even bigger churches. If you look at a church like, wow, you don't have any young people or you're missing generations. You're moving towards towards mm-hmm. death. And then you see other churches where where things are happening and it's going great. Lost people are coming to the Lord. They're growing in faith. You see discipleship happening. And that's that's not the only factor, but it's one of the big key factors. And so what we hope to do in this podcast is explore that and how can we encourage ourselves and the listener, how can we encourage people to make a disciple and hopefully through practical things, we're hoping to break it down and have some things on this is how to be a better disciple uh, struggles you and I are struggling with right now, issues we're dealing with. How do we do that? And then another side of, well, how do I make that disciple? So it's one thing to walk with the Lord. It's another one to take somebody with you and walk with the Lord. You talked about it and I affirm it. You know, got a lot of knowledge growing up. But having a lot of knowledge is not the same as. No, of course making a disciple 
And of course, you and I have a lot of cross-cultural experience, experience trying to take that idea, take the good news of Jesus and share it into another people group or another another ethnic group or a person. It's a totally different way of thinking. And so there'll be some avenues of that in there as well. And we hope to interview some people that are also great disciple makers, see what we can learn and uh, share those same things along with everybody else. I definitely say that we don't have it all together. Uh, we're still learning. But if you'll come with us, we can all learn together and we can all make disciples more. And that will change the kingdom of God in America. It will change the kingdom of God wherever you're listening if we obey the commands of Jesus. Yeah, and I have to say, James, when you spoke to me about about doing this, as much as I wanted to say yes, I was pretty tempted to say no, or rather I felt guilty for saying yes because I thought if anyone finds out how unqualified I am to be a part of this, I'll probably get like sued or fined and kicked out into the street and at least just people will see like, oh, I should find another podcast to listen to. And But it was as we were starting our reading plan, our, our house church is going through the Bible Project, uh, dot com's reading plan where you go through the Bible in a year, uh, read scripture, I had come to the part about Moses where God meets him and says, look, uh, I want you to go back to Egypt. And Moses just offers every single excuse he can, and God patiently counters each excuse with a provision. And finally, Moses, have re- maybe this is an incorrect interpretation, but Moses realizes, okay, he God still isn't convinced that I shouldn't do this, and I've told him all my best excuses. I probably just need to lay out my trump card. Um, can, can you send someone else? So he just doesn't want to, or, or maybe he wants to, but he feels like, so at the end of the day, he's just saying, look, this isn't my bag. I can't do this. And I think that was the week where I realized, okay, the question of whether or not we're going to talk about discipleship, encourage others to, and actually disciple people. It's not a question of how qualified are you. It's a question of, are you willing to follow Jesus? It's a question of, are you, are you willing to take the one thing that you know and obey it? Well, thanks for joining us on here. Come along with us if you have some thoughts or questions. You can find us at www.luke5.com slash podcast. Yeah, thanks again. Look forward to spending some car rides with you folks as you possibly honor us by joining this conversation. God bless. Well, that wraps up the first episode of the Deep Water Podcast. We really appreciate you guys listening, and we hope that this podcast will encourage you and us as well to go and make disciples the way Jesus did. Listen, if you enjoyed it, do us a favor and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform and leave us a review. It really would be a help for us. Thanks a lot. See you next time.